and welcome to Redefining Outbound, a podcast series for sales leaders. I'm one of your hosts, Frida Odesson, VP of US Sales at Cognizant. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behavior has changed, and we'll be unpacking why these trends are important for Outbound. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, Chris. So to kick things off, like, why don't you give uh, the listeners a little bit of, of an intro about you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Chris Benton, I lead sales and development at Altrada. Uh, I live here in the DC area. My whole career has typically been in a SaaS base or sales role. Um, started off actually selling copiers, which sort of in a funny way, I shaped a lot of my sales career, but big focus on RevOps, strategy, CRMs, and ultimately how you can scale an outbound sales process. Um, so the topic we're going to talk about today is definitely near and dear to my heart and uh, excited to dive in. Yeah, awesome. So you and I are going to talk about uh, mainly about buyer centricity today, which is a topic I'm very excited to to dig into um, with you. Uh, but before we start diving in there, like um, one thing that we always do is is starting the podcast by asking, what does uh, redefining outbound mean to you? Yeah, uh, I'd love it- to hear that. Yeah, it's a it's a really like profound and, and deep question. You can go a lot of a lot of ways with it. I think if you think about outbound and redefining it, I think the past five or ten years has given a formula that a lot of folks have gotten sort of used to that isn't working for a lot of different reasons. And as you think about how you redefine outbound, I think at the end of the day, it's really about putting the the person, the prospect, the customer first, putting yourself in their shoes, and really being an expert on them, on their challenges, on their day to day articulating that problem. And I think as you start to do that, you start to engender trust. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like. But it's it's sort of going away from this, you know, load up the the, the sales engagement tool with a thousand names and send it out and bring back 50 and more of a longer term strategic trust building exercise. And I think that that's where outbound is going. Cool. And how does that relate back to buyer centricity for you? Like what does buyer centricity mean to you? Because I know it's a it's a big topic for you. Yeah. So look, if, if you think about buyer centricity, like at the end of the day, what it boils down to is empathy. And it's really, can you show that you understand your buyer and can you sort of see around corners, put yourself in their shoes to make their experience as positive as possible. And so a lot of sort of the modern sales playbook has sort of shifted to this like specialization focus and there's value in that. There's reasons for it, but I've seen a lot of examples where companies have sort of lost sight of how to marry specialization with like a really positive customer experience. And I think that that's what's really important is how can you put yourself in their shoes, think about sort of that emotional journey or roller coaster that a buyer goes through and start to make sure that you're a resource and depositing value at all steps. So in a nutshell, it's less focus around like what's important to us, our methodology, our process, and more about how we can really build trust with the buyer. And in your opinion, like what's the state of buyer centricity out there today? Like how well do companies do this? Um, it, it's interesting, right? Because I think there's there's a wide range and I think that there's a lot of factors that might dictate like why one company is or uh, is or isn't buyer centric. I think I'm seeing a lot of like startups and smaller, younger companies that are a lot more buyer centric. They've identified a problem. They become experts at that problem. They're not trying to be everything for everybody. And I think that that's a really good path to be on. Um, the flip side, I've seen some maybe not so good behaviors and sometimes it's from really larger companies, which is kind of odd because you'd think, you know, the training and everything else would be there. But sometimes what you lose when you get to sort of like a larger stature is, you know, we are XYZ brand name. We might not need to be 
you know, we, people buy us because we're the safe choice. And so I think that those companies that need to be buyer centric, they need to differentiate themselves. It's created this really interesting, like competitive dynamic. So I'd say it's hard to generalize like scale of one to 10, how buyer centric are SaaS companies. But I think that what I'm finding is, is that those that are really focused on like solving a problem. So buyers don't have to do something anymore, whatever that is, are those that are winning in the marketplace versus like trying to be everything for everybody. And so it's a, it's an interesting dynamic with some of the up and coming SaaS companies. Mm -hmm. Would you say there's a correlation between like the bigger the company is, the harder it is for them to be buyer centric? I feel like it is from a buyer side. Uh, and I think, you know, we get a lot of advantages as far as, you know, sales leaders and that we're also buyers, right? So we buy tools, we, we buy, you know, we take demos, we, we see calls or emails that are interesting to us. We're like, sure, let's find out and let's sort of dip our toe in the water to check out different approaches. Um, but I think, look, I, I had an example uh, a month or two ago where I submitted a demo request to a large company. Um, I had an inbound SDR hit me up and say, hey, um, you know, I wanna talk with you, you're in my territory. I'm in the US, they were in the UK. Okay, I kind of want to speak with somebody in the US, align my time zones. No, this is our process. You're in my territory. Okay, so I'll have that call. They'll put me through a sales methodology, a, a BANT, to try to extract as much from me as possible. They'll hand me off to an AE. The AE is helpful, but they're going to go through some of the questions that the SDR asked me. Then they need to bring in an SE to do the demo. Then they need to bring in a VP to do the negotiation. Then there's three people on the post-sale side. And so I talk to my team a lot about like accidents happen at intersections. And I think that at the larger the company gets, the more intersections there are. And it kind of mm -hmm. creates a higher probability for running into those accidents. So, you know, it's, it's about like keeping your eye on like what's going to be best for a customer experience versus how do we maximize the, um, the, the resources that we have so that we can fill up calendars and everybody has a specific job. Mm, interesting. And so if we start by approaching buyer centricity from like a, a top of funnel perspective uh, in an outbound world, like how can you be buyer centric? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think there's some like really specific tactics that go into this, but at the at core, it's know your buyer. So it's listening to those conversations that they've had. If you've got a, a gong or a chorus or any of those call reporting tools, why did they buy? What were the problems that they were solving for? And sort of turning your language into being more problem centric, more about them, versus more about us. Like the easiest hack in the world is look at your sales emails. How many us, we's, our company names are you using versus you, people that I've spoken to that are in your role, turning that language and focusing on the individual, I think is really, really key. And then starting to really show that you're an expert, start to sort of chip away at, I understand your world. Here's the things that I've seen and start to think about like what success looks like for your buyer. Like not everybody, has their optimized day. There's things that they want to do that they can't do because they're stuck doing something. The more that you can understand that dynamic of what your buyers just absolutely despise doing and what they want to do or what they would do at that time, I think you're going to get to a better place. And that kind of also goes into like the seniority level of who we're talking to. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one big gap here is to get your salespeople to that level that they truly genuinely inherently understand the buyer. How do you yeah. get them there? It's, it's tough too in a remote setting, right? Uh, I don't know, we're, we're fully remote as a company. And so you don't have that sort of like mm. bullpen um, experience. I think that it's something you've got, you've got to spend a lot of time on to, to really get to that spot. Um, part of it, I think happens in an interviewing process. Um, you know, as you start to bring on, you know, reps and you bring them in, it becomes cultural. 
becomes this is sort of how we do things. But as you start to share those wins, um, share what's working and share what a healthy, perfect sort of like this is our sweet spot ICP customer looks like versus it's a little bit of a fringe for us. This is a leap of faith, you know, it's a, and really helping your your end users and your uh, your individual contributors understand that I think is is super key. But I think it's also got to be okay as a sales leader to empower your sales reps to say no or to kind of disqualify a call, have an honest, awkward conversation, say, hey, Frida, you mentioned that you're looking at these sorts of things. We're kind of like a B minus C plus in that area. Like, I just want to be honest with you. Like, if this is what you're looking for, we're probably not the right fit versus trying to be this sort of like people pleasing. We do everything A plus we're amazing. And I think that that's a, a big shift where I see for new reps that come into our org where it takes a little bit of time to understand like, that's okay. We're not for everybody. We're not going to have a hundred percent close rate. Let's focus on who we can help. Uh, curious, you know, sort of what, what you've seen coming in uh, to, to a new sales org, but like how much culture plays into it. Yeah, certainly. Like one, one thing that I tell my team all the time is like, we win by how we sell, which I think is like my version of buy uh, buyer centricity. Um, yeah. And one thing that we've been doing here um, lately, because I feel like it's so hard for salespeople to truly understand the persona that they're selling to. Like we're selling to uh, directors of sales, VPs of sales, sales managers, like they've never been in that role. Right. Um, and it can be, it can be really tricky to genuinely understand until you've actually been there. Um, so one thing we've done to try to bridge the gap is we've had to meet, meet the persona day. Uh, so we brought in a CRO uh, from like a, a good fit uh, or sort of good size company. Um, and she came in, we had a little uh, fireside chat with her, asked her a couple of questions, like, how do we get your attention? What do you care about? What's your day to day? Uh, and then the team got to ask her questions and it was super popular. Like it was really appreciated. And I think I saw a few light bulbs <laughs> sort of turn on and I think that was super helpful. Um, and hopefully that will help them also to not be robots in, in the discovery call. Yeah. I, I right? love that. You, you understand why you like ask the next question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, there's this sort of barrier, this wall of like, they're the buyer, I'm the seller. It's, it's almost like a social norms have been built around like how this is supposed to look. But the reality is like, it's a human that we're trying to make progress with. Um, one of the tactics that I do is I'm constantly forwarding emails to my team around by or sellers that are selling to me. This is a great email. This is why I'm taking this meeting. This is a great slide deck, like starting to actually give them the play by play as you're going through a buying process, I found can be so helpful because you start to realize that you're sharing like emotional sort of um, impressions versus like the logic that I think a lot of sellers are focusing on, like logic heavy emotion plays a lot into this. I think, you know, how, you know, how you get consensus within an organization, if you can kind of play that back, I've seen it be super powerful. It happened in my career early on where I had some sales leaders just tell us about what they were buying and we're all buyers. Uh, we all kind of have these preconceived notions. So um, that's where I've tried to kind of arbitrage that experience. Yeah, I told my sales team, like, if you're ever getting outreach to, because sometimes they do, even though they're AEs, uh, take the call, like, feel what it's like being on the other side, like, that's what's going to give you that buyer empathy, ultimately. Yeah, yeah, I, I do feel bad just on that. I, I forward it off and I'll get like, a, the, the, the sender will be like, hey, it looks like you clicked on this 10 times, like what's going on? And sometimes I have to be like, sorry, it was a great email, but not for us. But I think sort of reinforcing that sales karma in a way is also good. It's giving people sort mm -hmm. of that hey, this is great. Here's some feedback um, because we're all sort of, you know, focusing on, again, connecting with people, business development, doing it in a way that doesn't feel like you're selling your soul. It feels like you're just making mm. progress. Yeah, totally. 
Uh, and sometimes I feel like sales as a profession gets a bad rep uh, because sellers have not been buyer centric in the past. Yeah. They have the same experience. Yeah. I, I think we're, we're, we try to, we talk a lot on like our coaching team calls about when have you bought something? Who's bought a car? Who's bought a mattress? Who's had a complex purpose, a house? What's that felt like? You know, when you walk into a car dealership, how does that feel? And I think trying to sort of call out the elephant in the room that you're going to have people that are entering a virtual zoom room. They're hesitant. They're skeptical. They're not sure what they're getting into. And one of the main goals of us is create some trust, like show that we've been there before, show that we're a human being, the dogs are barking, the, the, the kids are running around, whatever it is. Like we're, we're just a normal human being. We're not trying to push an agenda. We're, we're really trying to figure out like if there's a mutual fit. And I think that that's sort of where like we see a lot of buyers that just haven't had that experience. They've been that pushy sales rep, that person that's just trying to get their agenda is trying to overcome the objections instead of understand them. And I think as we start to like focus on like as a buyer, what was the anxiety that you went through? Before you made that purchase, what were you thinking about? You know, getting our sellers to think about those questions that don't get talked about a lot, I think is really key to, to building that empathy so they can kind of, there's a game being played. We might as well be realistic about it and make sure that we can kind of have, break down that, that fourth wall, so to speak, uh, with buyers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. And I think it goes back to what you said about saying no, like teaching your sales reps to say no, right? Uh, to not keep pushing when it's like actually not a, a perfect fit. It's, it's, it's wild. I remember, I, I, this sounds odd. I remember the first time I told somebody I didn't think they were a fit and the reaction that I received back was, what do you mean? Like, this isn't how this is supposed <laughs> to go. Right? Like, it's like, this is, there's a certain thing with this, but I think we've got to be realistic. I mean, a close rate at most companies is what, 20 to 50% uh, total. So instead of acting like everybody's a fit, I think that that's how we repel people versus saying, here's what we're Here's what we're okay at and here's where we're not super strong. The the really like the amount of trust that you build and just being realistic around that is going to help you capture the deals that you should be winning and also sort of repel those that aren't uh, good long-term fit. So I think um, if you're a salesperson or sales leader, like I've set quotas before of like, hey, I want to see you disqualify somebody, do it tactfully, help them understand why you're not a good fit, but start to approach calls with that mindset of, I don't know if you're a fit for us versus I want to convince you you're a fit for us. The buyer feels it like they, they totally feel that dynamic shift. And I think it's super powerful when reps start to, you know, buy into that and play a, a longer game versus like, I got to sell this person that's in front of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another piece of that is like when you try to hold someone accountable to a specific timeline, right. Which I think is a, a big piece of sales that is like urgency, pushing end of quarter. There's nothing better a salesperson can say than, happy to work on your timeline. Right. Yeah. I, I, I just want to see where you're at in this just because I don't want to move too fast and I don't want to move too slow. So you just help me understand a little bit of how this is looking and, and obviously things come up, we'll adjust versus you told me this is going to get signed by the end of the month. The discount ends. Like I think buyers are sort of privy to like, that's not, that's not fun. And feeling that sort of pressure mm -hmm. dealing with a lot of things as a buyer um, definitely takes away from the experience. So I think, you know, You've got to you've got to have that mentality throughout versus you know picking and choosing when you're going to be buyer centric versus when you're going to kind of go back to old habits uh, because you can mm -hmm. you can really hurt that trust when you do. Yeah. So aside from all the tactics that we already been talking about, like, is there any other tactics you think sales leaders should have top of mind in terms of making sure that their team is truly buyer centric? Yeah. Um, so I think in in many ways. It's really important that as a sales leader that your team is speaking like a problem-centric language. So 
generally buyers are going to respond to the issues that they have or the things that they don't want to do anymore versus this illustrious, amazing world that they can get to. Now there's exceptions to every rule, but I think that the more that you can um, speak to your team, I always find it interesting when you ask a team, you know, what is the problem that somebody's suffering with? In many cases, you'll hear positive language that they want to do this. They need to do that versus they can't, they're trying, they're struggling, you know, their inability to do something. And I think just making sure that everybody understands like problems generally are what's going to sell or resonate with somebody, I think is really, really key. Um, the other tactic, um, I've done this before with, with new SDRs is I'll have them listen to a, like a win, you know, a, a disco call from somebody who bought from us and ask them to write a time machine email. So basically go back three months, write this email to that person and talk about, you know, a couple of the problems that you think they might have really write it to that person. So if you could get in that time machine, you can, you know, essentially just incept their mind and say, Hey, you might be struggling with these types of things. And kind of going through that exercise helps get really focused and defined on like focusing on what we can solve for. And so those are a couple of little tactics. I don't know if you've had anything that's been uh, successful, um, you know, in working with reps. That is a pro tip. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> uh, so in, in terms of like uh, you mentioned in the beginning, hiring, um, it starts with hiring. Um, mm -hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit? Like what are some tactics in hiring that could, could help uh, creating that buyer centricity? Yeah. So everybody comes into a sales role, whether they're an SDR out of college or they've been tenured with sort of different experiences, different biases, how things should be done. I think in a hiring process, one of the things that we really look at is coachability. And so how do you measure coachability, right? That's difficult uh, in, in general. So what we look to do is try to give somebody who's applying for a role, basically a, here's your buyer, here's the things that they struggle with. Here's the challenges that they have. And here's ways that our products might connect to that buyer. Um, here's a couple of resources. Here's like, I'm a huge fan of Josh Braun. He has a great email guide and tips. Here's a way to write a good email. Here's a, here's a podcast on how to really connect to the buyer. And so, you know, when you're an SDR and AE, you're, you're kind of like a detective. And so we want to give the clues to the person and have them pull together, like how they would connect. And so they bring that together to us. We'll actually go through it. We'll give them some coaching. We'll play it back. We'll try, you know, a little bit of different verbiage. And so as we go through that process, we're able to see who's going to be a little bit more adaptive in taking that sort of new school way of selling and engaging um, versus some of those that, you know, it's a little bit harder to give up old habits. So I think that's really key of saying, you know, we're looking to hire problem solvers versus we're looking for somebody that can send a thousand emails, make 200 calls a day. Like that's not what we're looking for because those skills might be useful in like a SDR role in the short term but they don't really scale. They don't really grow. And so if you're thinking long-term like problem solving is it, and you don't have to be a salesperson as your next role. You don't have to go to AE. You can do enablement, you can do sales ops. You can do all these different roles if you're a good problem solver and you can kind of figure out how to solve for problems. So that's, that's sort of our mentality when we're thinking about understanding who can become buyer centric is becomes with, or starts with coachability. Mm -hmm. Love that. And I think also another thing is it's uh, going even even earlier in the hiring process, like what you put in the job description, right? One thing that I've seen work in the past in, in terms of attracting the right talent is just saying, like putting a little bit of a mission statement around that. Like, hey, at this company, we believe that we win by how we sell or selling is the new helping or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and I've found that usually people are drawn to that that are gonna be the right fit because they are sort of aligned with your mission even before interviewing. I love that. Do you have any interview questions that are like your like your money go to question? Like, 
you ask something and you feel like it tells you a lot about a person? Uh, one thing that I always ask is why do you want to be in sales? That's my, like, that gives me so much insight. Like what's their motivation? Like, uh, what do they care about? Um, and sort of like also pushing back and, and until I get to like their, their true why, uh, yeah. cause usually what people say the first time is not going to be it. Um, mm -hmm. that gives me so much information and, and if you're going to be a right fit ultimately. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Um, understanding that motivation is, is key and you're right. You, you won't get the real answer up front. You'll, you'll get sort of maybe what they think they're supposed to say. Uh, but the more mm -hmm. you can do it, the better. Yeah. And like you can be in CS, you can be in support, like why sales specifically? Mm -hmm. uh, and especially for like, like, uh, junior employees that might not, you know, have done sales for 10 years already. It's like, why? Yeah. Why put yourself into a profession of rejection of strife of really having to continuously learn every day and the ups and the downs. Um, and I think, you know, there, again, some of these things get glamorized, but I think it's on us to like, this is what the role is and it's not always amazing. And you know, we, you need to understand what you're signing up for. Uh, cause you know, that's not always clear. Yeah. Uh, all right. So pivoting a little bit, um, yeah. obviously we're all sort of familiar with, uh, AI, uh, coming into our lives. I, I don't yeah. think anyone's missed that. Um, do you think there's a risk in using too much AI, um, that you might lose the buyer centricity or could AI actually help? Uh, yeah, I think AI is complicated, right? And like, you know, we're recording this and probably by the time it even launches, even if that's next week, if things will change in like the landscape of AI, right? It happens so, so quickly. I think that it, I almost think a lot of it is around like sales messaging or sales engagement platforms, like more bad is bad versus those that really understand and harness and go deeper. I think that uh, we've talked a lot about to my teams around like prompt building and being very, very specific. And I think that's really what it boils down to. If you ask a very generic request from AI, tell me why a VP of sales wants more leads. Like, okay, you're going to get a very generic response, but you can really dig in and say, you know, what are some of the struggles that, you know, a, a head of sales has that maybe they don't want to do anymore? And how's that going to impact their bottom line? And what are some of the emotional signs that, you know, when they're doing this or they're struggling with it, they, they might be doing, what are the activities? Are they living in spreadsheets? Are they doing this? Are they doing that? If you start to really prompt AI, you get to the heart of things. And so I think like with anything, it's, it's really going to be those who understand it. Those who get specific are those that are going to get um, further. One of my favorite like AI hacks is just ask it to do better. It's actually incredible. You get a response and you just say, you can do better. And it actually does. So it's like learning how to mess with the algorithm mm -hmm. a little bit is um, becoming a skill. And we're seeing some reps do some some really cool stuff with AI, um, especially on the outbound side that is, is incredible to see. Um, so I love AI, we're using it, but using it in sort of like a bland way, I don't think is gonna be successful. And I think it's gonna be, humans will be able to pick up on it. Uh, what's, what's your favorite like AI hack for a individual contributor or, or manager these days? AI hack. Um, one thing that we've done is, uh, ask, asking AI, like, um, about our competition, like know yeah. your enemy <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. Like how do they position? How do, how does our competition position against us? Uh, cause that's mm -hmm. something that you can rarely like find out, uh, unless you like go undercover and take a sales call with them. Uh, oh, yeah. right. So getting like insights like that. Um, and also like, what does AI say that how we are positioning ourselves? Right. Mm -hmm. So like, what are, other, what are our customers going to read about us or, or hear about us when we're not in a room? Yeah. 
I, I love that. It's good at just distilling a bunch of information, pulling together reviews. What, what does somebody dislike about our competitor? You know, what are the, the ways they describe it? I think is a, is a great use case. I've been having my team focus a lot on job postings, which I think are really interesting because you can actually use job postings to understand technology. So what are 50 open jobs of people or companies that are using Salesforce and start to pull in that data? Um, or just, you know, what was the job posting of how this person got hired? How can we connect that to our value prop? I think AI does a great job of connecting those dots. Um, so yeah. it's, it's, it's incredible sort of what can be done, but it definitely requires more than just a cursory. Here's a generic prompt. It's about going deeper and deeper and, and, and building that muscle. It's like Googling, uh, it's, there's a skill to it. Right. Uh, yeah, and we've certainly only scratched the surface, I think, on AI, so it'll be interesting to see. But I do think it's going to put even more pressure, like having AI there, it's going to put even more pressure on like salespeople to like be even more buyer-centric in order to stand out. Like only the best ones are going to make it sort of thing. Yeah, we uh, just as an aside, you know, we have a chat bot on our website and somebody comes, the first response you're going to get from one of our team is, hey, this is Caleb or this is Eric, like I'm a real human. And so I think like validating that you are a human is at the end of the day going to win. Um, and I think that that's, again, just not losing sight. It's not just the message. It's, it's, it's how it's delivered and, and who it's from in some ways matters. Yep. Um, all right. We're, we're almost at the end here. Could talk about this probably all day. Um, but I know you run a couple of functions um, over at your company. You, uh, I think sales dev partnerships. Uh, enablement, engineering, <laughs> there's a lot that you're, you're juggling. Uh, how are you approaching this idea like cross-functionality? So, I, you know, if you think about, again, we, we started this off around like specialization being in some ways uh, antithetical to like buyer-centric. I think that these functions that I manage are really around like providing support and resources to teams, not trying to disintermediate them by any means, but trying to essentially, you know, augment what they're doing or focus in areas to, to give them more coverage. So when I think about like the cross functionality of, you know, sales enablement, sales engineering, you know, partnerships, it's all about finding an area where we can make something easier. We can reduce friction. We can be that sort of co-pilot versus sort of being the subject matter expert and the only person that can speak on how to demo X or Y. And I think that that's really understanding that generally, if you don't carry a quota, your job is to help people who are carrying a quota is, is really important to me. It's how do we make sure that we can reduce that friction? So I see it as all of these functions as enablement in one way or another, but it's not about, you know, doing the job for somebody. It's really, how can you fit in the gaps, take care of things for them to really make them, you know, more powerful. And so um, just generally, I mean, that, that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah. Awesome. And so to finish, can you give a killer piece of advice uh, for sales leaders looking to further oper operationalize uh, their sales teams? If you Oof. give one advice, what would that be? <laughs> um, wow, there's, there's a, a one piece of advice is, is, is always tough. I think that the most important thing for a sales leader is for them to have like the trust of their sales teams to, to bring them problems and to bring them challenges and to create an environment where that's happening. I think once you mm -hmm. stop hearing challenges, there will always be there. You're going to start to, to run into issues, but being that sort of like forward leader that can get into the weeds, get into the trenches, show how it's done and create an environment where everybody's sharing their struggles, they're sharing their wins and create a culture where again, being remote can be a lot more difficult where everybody's in the same sort of boat on the same team is really important. So I guess 
create a, a feedback loop where people trust you to take care of and to remove friction from their world um, and where you can go and do it and kind of be on the front lines alongside them is uh, sort of my North Star. Right. That's an awesome advice. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Chris. It was great having you. Awesome. Thanks for that.